stand for the gospel reading and our sermon text, which comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Let me just remind you, this is God's word to us, and it's given to us because he loves us. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children And brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, the man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that now as we come to the preaching of your word, that you would speak to us through your word by your Holy Spirit, because yours is the voice that we need to hear above all others, the voice of love, above the voices inside our own heads, the voices around us in our culture and our communities that uh, tell us all sorts of things about ourselves. We pray, Lord, uh, that we would hear what you would have to say to us today above them all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the last few weeks, uh, the passages that we've been looking at in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus has been giving uh, pretty much a big in-your-face to all the religious and political leaders of his day and time. And that's fine. I mean, he was already unpopular with the religious and political leaders uh, of his day. I mean, they do want to kill him. Uh, That's about as unpopular as you can get with someone. So what difference does it make if he showed up at the parties that... They invited him to come, and uh, he didn't play nice uh, whenever he uh, arrived at their parties. Besides, he's got all these crowds following him. I mean, our passage leads off today with these crowds that are following him around, and they love him. I mean, they are excited about Jesus. They've seen and experienced the miracles that he has performed. They like Jesus when he talks about things like the prideful and the powerful being humbled and the humbled and marginal being exalted. They like the kind of things, those kinds of things that he is saying, that it's the outcasts and the rejects who are going to be invited to the king's feast. And those who turn their noses and refuse the invitation will never be let in. I mean, they're pumped about what he's doing. I mean, they're basically like, you demand Jesus, like you really gave it to those Pharisees back there. You know, good work. And then Jesus turns around and says things like this. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me 
and does not hate his own father, does not hate his own mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Well, Jesus already has the religious and political leaders mad at him, and now seems like he's going out of his way to offend all the people who like him, too, to offend these crowds of disciples that are following after him. It seems like Jesus wants to offend both the, quote, bad and the, quote, good alike. But why is that? Well, I think because... We all want only the good people to be invited to the party, assuming, of course, that we are the good people that God truly likes. And when we assume we're the ones in the right, when we wind up gathering a party with a smug arrogance that quickly turns into something that is not the party that God is interested in throwing. So Jesus says these things to put everyone back on their heels, to make sure they're not getting too comfortable with their place. So let's try to unpack some of this. What does Jesus mean as we looked at a similar passage earlier this summer when he said he came not to bring peace but division? What does he mean when he puts us back on our heels and says that you have to hate all the people in your life who matter most to you? Well, let's think about it this way. In the Old Testament... And in ancient Near Eastern culture in particular, the word hate could be used as a figure of speech of sorts. It's not that you hate someone. It's that just compared to how much exponentially more you love someone else in comparison, it's almost as if you hate them. Think about, for instance, if you go back to the story of Jacob in Genesis 29. And you read and you think about his story, Jacob and the daughters of Laban. Jacob was head over heels in love with Rachel. But her father Laban tricks Jacob into taking Leah as his first wife. And then later gives him Rachel also. I know, two wives, right? Crazy. Well, if you know the story, then you know, not surprisingly, that it is dysfunction junction. It wasn't that Jacob despised Leah, per se. It's just that his love for Rachel put Rachel in a different priority, a different order of importance in his life. So much so, it was as if he hated Leah by comparison. I mean, if he really despised Leah, he sure had a lot of kids with her. So she couldn't have been that bad. Jesus isn't saying to follow him, you have to hate your family. He isn't saying that you even have to hate yourself. He is saying that your love for him puts him in a category of priority and importance that makes all the other loves in your life pale in comparison. And I think that includes more than just your love for people. I think when Jesus lists these folks in your life, parents, spouses, children, siblings, I think he is using them symbolically to mean all the good things in your life that are there for you to love and enjoy, not merely your relationships. I think it's why you get to Philippians chapter 3, 
And the Apostle Paul says that everything he earned, everything he gained in his life, if you stack up his whole resume about all the good things he did and accomplished and achieved, they were all garbage compared to knowing Jesus as his life. He's not saying that all those things were, in fact, garbage. It's sort of like kids having an argument over what's the best sports car. And they're going back and forth and back and forth. And one of them says, oh, no, that car is trash, right? If given the choice between a Ferrari and a Lamborghini, and they think a Ferrari is trash, but that's what they're given, they'll take the Ferrari. They don't actually think that it's worthless and garbage. Paul is just saying that he would, in fact, suffer the loss of all those things as if they meant nothing, if that's what were keeping him from knowing and enjoying Christ as his life. Now this, prioritizing Jesus as your life over every relationship, over everything, every achievement, every agenda in your life, as more important, is not an easy thing to do. And Jesus knows this. It's why he says suffering the loss of all these good things in your life in order to love him above everything else in your life is to carry a cross. Because taking up one's cross is to take up death. You know, I often think that we forget when we hang crosses from our ears and we hang crosses around our necks, when we tattoo crosses onto our skin permanently, I think we sometimes forget what that symbol stands for. Death. That's what that symbol means. It is to take up one's cross is to take up death. It is a self-denial. It is a putting to death of our egos. I heard someone say this past week, or a couple weeks ago, actually, they asked the question, you know what the word ego stands for? E-G-O. Ever heard this? Edging God out. That is what your ego stands for. And I like that. I like when he said that, because when Jesus says to follow him, one must carry the cross, I do believe he is saying that one must embrace the self-denial of our own ego, all those things that edge God out of the equation. Carrying one's own cross is a choice. It's clearly a choice that Jesus puts in front of these would-be disciples that are excited about following him. And he says, nope, make sure you know what you're getting yourself into. This is a choice. It is an active suffering it is not passive. It is not the same thing as a suffering that happens to you. It is something that you are actually choosing to suffer. It is a letting go. To all the attachments, to all sorts of things that are not as important as obedience and dependence upon Jesus alone for life. Carrying the cross is a practice of non-attachment from all those things that reinforce our false selves, the selves that live following after other gods in our hearts and serving them just as we read earlier in our passage in Deuteronomy. Our relationships, our independence, our comfort, our control, our beauty, our power, 
influence, popularity, ease, wealth, image, success. I mean, you know, of course, we can name all sorts of things. And in a culture driven by meritocracy and entitlement, choosing to let go of those things is hard for us to accept. Because if the only way to truly receiving the life that we want God to give is to do nothing to earn it, yet but also at the same time give up every single thing that we think we're entitled to in order to have it, to instead come and die with Jesus, then that kind of radical grace is living in an entirely different world than the one that we live in on a day-to-day basis. And that is hard. And Jesus knows that it's hard. It's why he tells all these would-be disciples, you want to follow me? Well, then you better count the cost. Because if following the divine mystery is easy, that I can make Jesus into what whatever I want him to be and put him in my pocket and keep him there, then why bother? I can do just fine without him. If that's what the divine mystery is, then frankly, the divine mystery is irrelevant. But if following the divine mystery is hard, that I cannot put Jesus in my pocket, then perhaps I better count what it's going to cost me to follow Jesus to a cross. And many do count that cost and decide that death is not worth it in order to have Jesus. But that is the choice that Jesus puts before us every single day and challenges us to count the cost. So I ask, can you embrace that the life that Jesus is offering you is so big and so deep so spacious that the life that Jesus is offering you even can include its opposite, death. For this is the universal pattern, carrying a cross, following Jesus into his death so that we can be born again in his resurrection life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.